2: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elm Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Hostie-Cundell, the Jesse March on Monday Night Football of the podcast. No one really wants me here, but much like Sky, All Stats Aren't We are forced to scrape the bottom of the barrel for their guests. And I'm joined by Adam Elliott, the Jorginho Rutter, undeserved Man of the Match Award of the podcast. He doesn't always perform well, but he gets the job done. And finally, I'm joined by the Willy Nonto. first touch of the pos- podcast. Did I mean it? Who really cares? We all love him anyway. It's Martin Riley. I mean, it's, it's Dan. Dan, what have you done? Dan, what have <laughs> you done with Martin? What's going on?
1: We, 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 we've killed him. We've poisoned his food. He's, we've poisoned his tea. And now you've got me. I'm, I'm sorry, boys. I'm sorry, audience.
2: Martin, if you're out there, please let us know that you're alive. And what you've had for tea. Da- Martin, Dan, what have you had? What have you, sto- you stolen off Martin?
1: I... um. Tonight, we had uh, roast chicken. It was a lovely corn-fed one as well, like a fancy kind of organic type bit. With roast potatoes and carrots and broccoli and gravy. Basically, Sunday dinner on a Monday night, which is outrageous. That's so it. fancy. Yeah. it's Basically, basically we, we had this chicken for yesterday and we, and we were out late. and We never got back to cook it in time, so we just had to cook it tonight, basically.
2: And Adam, what have you had? Have you had anything that fancy?
3: I've just really weirded out. Like, no, Martin, that's weird enough. And then... I'm not hosting, and I'm on a podcast. What's going on? Like, It's just a weird upside-down world, but one thing that is normal and that has stayed very much the same is that I had the same meal last time I podded to now, I think, unless it was two pods ago, but I had meatballs for tea again with uh, pasta. So that was pretty decent, Uh, but this is really weird, and I'm not used to it, and um, I've not done this for a while, but I think it'll be fine.
2: Yeah, and I had Jack Harrison tea, so I had chicken and rice. (laughs) <laughs> but it was season. You had Jack Harrison for no, tea, is that why no, he's not no studying <laughs> today? <laughs> he's yummy, you know, he's yummy. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're, we're here today to review the 2-0 victory over Plymouth Argyle. Definitely not here to lord over um, a snack. Um But uh, we'll, we'll first start with some news, and it was clarified before this game that Bamford is probably going to be out for the game against Leicester and possibly the one after that. I can't remember who it is that we've got. So how how are we feeling about that, Dan?
1: Uh, worried. Um, not that that I don't dislike and I'm, I'm a, a pro fan really, but I just think that the overall team shape um, is miles better with Bamford, isn't it? And just the, the kind of process and pressing and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I hope he's back soon. Um, and it's a shame because I think he'd be excellent against Leicester. I think we need to press them and... Uh, it's part, you know, part of how we'll beat Leicester. will be with with good pressing, uh, and Bamford's good for that as well. So, yeah, slightly worried.
2: Yeah, and Adam, are you worried about the next two games, or did Plymouth game kind of like set you settle you?
3: Well, we'll get into that, but um, a little worried. I have to be honest. Um, not only because it's our like biggest and hardest remaining game, to be honest, um, but also yeah, just for the way that Bamford's helped with pretty much everything, every facet of. Our game at the moment, he's structurally made us a lot better. I know there's other elements that have come into that. You know, Gruyov coming into midfield and Fepo going into left-back and whatnot and Ruter moving further back, but... Bamford has been one of the, the key contributors to our upturn in form and without him I, I am a little bit concerned the only good thing is that we have beaten Leicester before with Pirot and Ruter as the front two so that's one thing and another thing is we have won games with them, not just against Leicester but in general we had some wins at the first half of the season, we won on the weekend without him so you know it is possible that we can win games of football with those two, it doesn't mean that Bamford being out isn't a blow but it just means that we have other options um, I would say if he's out for more than another game or two I'd be very concerned but if it's it's just one or two more then you know we might be all right hope you feel okay about it mate
2: yeah I mean it it'll be fine as long as it is just in the league it's just Leicester and Huddersfield uh there is Chelsea in between that as well oh, you remember um I did I, I realized as well that you know I'm doing a lot of work on the Huddersfield <laughs> competition for, for the preview of that and I totally forgot what it was um But yeah, you know, like you just said, we've we've won games without them, but with him, and now without him, we've won. We've won eight league games in a row. So how how are we all feeling about that, Adam? I'll start with you there.
3: I guess the bigger picture is just where we've taken ourselves from with that eight winning winning run. In any league, if you win eight on the bounce, you're going to put yourself in a much stronger position in a league table. That's pretty obvious. Um, But obviously where we were to now, and I think there's been quite a few things doing the rounds on Twitter and stuff about that, um, the sort of gap that was there around the West Brom game and, and the gap now <laughs> where we are not actually, you know, second, we're not actually third or fourth, or we are actually second, so brilliant, you know, and can't complain, and I looked at this run of eight games when we came into it and I thought, oh yeah, that is a good run of games to get some points from and really build up a bit of momentum and head esteem. And, uh, we have, I didn't expect us to win all eight. I was hoping maybe for maybe six wins and two draws, even five wins and a a, a loss somewhere in that, but eight wins is absolutely magnificent and what more can you say and I think in the majority of those games it's also been pretty deserved there's been a couple that have been a bit cagey than others but in general it's been it's been really good and hopefully we do carry that into Leicester because the five games we've got after that look also pretty favourable so by the end of March we could actually have a very very healthy points tally going into what will be a really really crucial part of the season where we've actually got probably our most hard Remaining games in in the month of April, um, the likes of Coventry and Middlesbrough and Sunderland and whatnot. So, need to make sure we've got some points in the bag before then, a healthy amount. And we have in the the last two months. That's good.
2: Dan, you were dancing at the talk of twenty four points out of twenty four there. So, I'm guessing you agree.
1: Yeah, I just I don't remember having this kind of run for for a long, long time. I mean, we're we talking like O'Leary's time, or maybe when we got promoted with Grayson. Having a run like this, it's just, I don't know the stats, but yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> Honestly, I'm loving, I'm, I'm loving how like, secure we are, like how defensively stable we are. We just look so unruffled by most teams we've come across, and that's like, that's like that's been a long time since we could say that about a Leeds team. Yeah,
2: and I know there's a uh, discussion for the preview, but it will be interesting, I think, from my point of view, how we look defensively against Leicester on, on Friday. Um, but enough about that and enough of the news. As I said before, we are here to talk about the 2-0 victory over Plymouth Argyle, and so I will quickly start with a game summary. Leeds started the game with their usual 4-2-3-1 structure, whilst the home side set up in a 3-4-2-1. Leeds took the lead early on after starting the game stronger. Following sustained pressure, Jorginho Rute's long ball was controlled very well, or very luckily, by Willy Nomto, depending on your view, who slotted home with his weaker foot past Connor Hazard. Leeds had the greatest share of possession and territory throughout the first half, but with few meaningful shots to mention, with Plymouth growing into the game as half-time approached. However, the only chance of real significance from either side came when Rutter shot deflected onto the post. After a end to the half, the second started with Plymouth as the stronger of the two sides, keeping Leeds pinned in their own half at the beginning of the second 45, although Ian Foss's side were unable to create much of note in an attacking sense, despite Mikhail Miller managing a few extremely dangerous crosses down Leeds' right-hand side. Leeds could not make the ball stick in attacking areas and struggled to make inroads into Plymouth' half. With Plymouth now having the foothold in the game, Leeds kept their hosts at arm's length though, with Melier rarely called upon despite their territory. Everything changed when Rattair latched onto a pass from Joe Peru and carried the ball towards their box, before smashing the ball between the goalkeeper's legs on 72 minutes and Leeds continued to disrupt the tempo and aggression which Plymouth tried to attempt and were able to play, and their retention improved from where it was lacking previously, and they had a little difficulty seeing out an eighth clean sheet in 11 games. So, that was that was the summary, and we'll move swiftly into the interrogation. So, despite the fact that Plymouth had only lost three league games at home park, I think we were all relatively hopeful after the recent 4-1 cup win. Um that we would be able to win this game. But it wasn't made easy by Plymouth. And would you say that our ball retention lacking was more down to our players and set-up or Plymouth's approach, Dan? Um,
1: I'm it, I'm minded to give Plymouth credit for this one, actually. Um, sort of on the watch back. I mean, the, the live watch, I kind of felt leisure scruffy and, and slow and you know, and some of the passing was off. and It was just a bit of a, a bits and pieces performance. But on the watch back, I was kind of uh, quite impressed by the defensive block that Plymouth... Plymouth put up and how kind of aggressive they were and physical they were. It was a bit like in some respects a bit like the Preston game without the shithousery, if that makes sense. They played physical and they got in there and they broke us up and you know, there were a lot of fouls Plymouth gave a lot of fouls away but it never felt like a nasty game so I kind of but but they just did a good job of breaking things up and being physical and uh, and they had like quite a high line but yet they didn't have a high press so therefore they were kind of setting off our defenders quite a bit, setting off Melier. And and just leaving a really really compact tight in kind the of midfield area for for us to play through and we just we just kind of struggle with that you know so they were kind of doubled up on on furpo and could, uh, players like that when they were kind of running into the into the middle third and and it kind of got scruffy from there so I just think it's just like their their approach was was pretty good and 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 they did a good job of stopping us getting any of our kind of free flowing game going really all that much
2: yeah and Joe Shore on Twitter asked uh, what did we make of the link up play today um, he thought it was a bit off. And he asked Adam if you if you feel like it was travelling and mileage that were perhaps affecting the concentration. Is is that where you think it went, Adam?
3: I don't want to put too much weight into like the amount of mileage recently, um, even if some individuals are kind of appearing a bit jaded at the moment. Um, we know for a fact that they've flown rather than just travelled by coach sometimes and, and, and stuff like that. Um, it does save a lot of time. Uh, also, a few of our American and Canadian Discord members kindly reminded us that the uh, long trips that they have to do in the States are the equivalent of a lot of teams' smaller trips here. Um Sorry, that's the opposite way around. You know what I meant, though. Basically, our longer trips are about as long as they're short trips. So it's just kind of one of those. Um I don't want to complain too much about that. But, uh, yeah, I, do, I agree with what Dan said mostly, to be honest. It, it did seem to be like they were quite happy to sit on halfway and trust quite a few of their centre backs to recover if they needed to in terms of pace. Um, but not be pressing too high. I think a few of their forwards did in, in little areas where they could, but it was more about that than anything. Um, and I just, yeah, it, it was really sloppy in the game. The uh, the retention, as we mentioned through the intro was, was pretty horrible uh, back to front from about 20 minutes onwards. We, we actually started really well, as we said. And, uh, I was pretty happy with, with everything. But then as soon as the, opposition kind of stepped so high and they they pushed themselves right up it it became really difficult for a lot of our players to to play and I think a few people noted this including you Dan so I'm sorry if I'm stealing your words here but mentioned that it was a bit like Jesse Marsh like um, with how the ball was sort of in quite central areas and quite congested areas and being turned over and yeah it was was really difficult for us to actually could keep the ball contained in their half for for a long period outside of that first sort of fifteen, twenty minutes. Um I think Somerville and Ruter in particular really struggled um and to turn and just play accurate passes out of that and um that isn't like them but I think it is just credit to Plymouth in, in a lot of ways for that. Um I would like to say that those guys can do better individually in, in sort of getting by their man and, and sort of snapping away from the challenge quickly but they weren't able to and uh, that's why the ball kept coming back at us quite consistently
2: yeah and I guess that's enough about Plymouth's out of possession stuff but how were they approaching us in possession and why wasn't it successful for them when they got near our box outside of a few dangerous crosses so Adam what did we do well to mitigate against their attacks
3: I think that's the same answer as as all season that we've seen really I think defensively we've been extremely solid and strong um We've got a nice blend of of defenders in general, with with that sort of pace and power that you need, um, that aerial ability that you need, um, and the sort of spacing and and way they're all set up together is is largely quite nice. Um, even with Ampadu coming in, we've been pretty strong in in the aerial department, even though they slung a few you know balls into the box and things like that. But yeah, we also do really well at, at keeping the ball and funneling it wide. Um, so. If they have possession, we will allow them to attack at our fullbacks, which is a little bit scary when you have a, a fairly weak defensive left-back and a, a centre-mid at right-back. But we did pretty well. Um, the Like I said, the spacing, the compactness is, is always pretty good. Um, I think that's been consistent for a while now. We seem to have nailed that, even if some of our own pressing hasn't always been good this season. Uh, that is a particular area that we're strong. Same with the rest defence. Okay, sure, like Miller in particular for them got down the uh, our right hand side there left hand side quite a lot I got quite a lot of joy from there from Archie but i always felt pretty comfortable uh, martin and I were two of the people in our uh, group chat in the admins chat Talking about how we always felt pretty secure and that we would see the game out even at one nil when they were putting on a little bit more pressure. Uh, never felt like they had a, a big chance to speak of. I know that the XG says that it had actually a, an okay amount, but even when I was watching back, I was just struggling to find like really meaningful chances that they had. Um, and I always feel like we'll see it through now uh, when it gets to two nil. Certainly, I, I was basically saying, "Oh, we've wrapped the points up," and, and and I think it was Hobbsy that said he wasn't so sure with the way we'd played or whatever. But we've only conceded. Um, Two or more goals this season in in six of the thirty-two league games, and that is excellent. And I think a, a sign of a good team is going to be keeping the zero and one column against you uh, as low as possible throughout the season. And we have in you know twenty-six games, it's either been zero or one, and that's going to give you a chance in every game to uh, to win. So very, very good. And um, and it is just that that keeping the xG down, keeping the chances down, we seem to be so good at keeping teams at arm's length, don't we? Yeah,
2: Dan for for you was was your. Did you think that Plymouth were creating stuff which was making your bum twitch? Maybe, unlike Adams,
1: absolutely, yeah. Um, I was twitching on the day watching the match live, just because it just felt like too much of the game, particularly in that spell in the second half, was was you know is in our half uh, and it was pinning us back. But that, on the watch back today, before this recording, I was just like, "What was I worried about?" There was nothing happening. You know, it was a bit like like. And then I've looked at the SG count after, and they've got like. Point nine. I'm yeah. like, where's that come from? I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know where that's come from. Um, so, I, I mean, this is this is a point that that Hobbsy made in the group chat, wasn't it? That like, like we've got players like Rodon, and I think this is true of Ampedu as well. They're just they're just great box defenders out there. They're just great at clearing the lines, and it was just very much that game, wasn't it? So, although Plymouth Huff and Puff, they were like, you know, they were up against uh, like Rodon, who was just like, having the time of his life, just heading balls away all day long, and Amperdy, Supporting him really well, so
2: almost like a training exercise for him.
1: A bit, a, a bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many? I mean, how many saves did Melier make? He made one where there was like a miss hit cross, and he had to go dive to his right in the second half. Um, couple of good sort of set piece takes he had to make, but I mean, like that's it, isn't it? Like, that's that's it, really. There was one where he spilled it on the ground when it kind of got kicked out of his hand by Hardy. I think like, that's all I can think of that like opportunities for them and a couple of long range shots in the first half. So. Like watching back, I, I was, you know, I was just like, why was I nervous <laughs> on the day? But obviously you are because you're a fan. When you watch it as a fan on, the, on when it's live,
3: I wasn't nervous. I think I was just frustrated that we weren't able to keep the ball. But I wasn't nervous about when they came forward. Okay, like a couple of the crosses scared me a little bit. But I always just feel like we're so compact now that. It's so easy to to feel comfortable. That'll change if we go up. It will one hundred percent. We can't can't keep the ball turned over like that and and get away with it. You're not going to be able to. But playing Plymouth, and I know they've got a pretty decent home record. But I was just like, oh, this is okay. Like we might need to make a change here to keep the ball a bit better or or to try and get out of our half a little bit more. But that that was about it.
2: Yeah, and Dan, I don't know if you've still got the numbers there in front of you, but if my Memory serves me correct. We were we were running at something like 1.8 xG against in the previous seven games that we were unbeaten. So 0.9 would be a third of what we've conceded over the past eight in one game, which is a lot. And to have only conceded one goal of that 1.8 isn't actually that much of a differential either. Um, so like you said, like it bodes well for our defence. But we've also said... Over the past month, that the level of opposition could easily have had something to do with that.
1: I mean, this this year, as in the, this this hot run, we've considered 0.5, 0.4, 1, 0.5, 0.4, 0.3, 0.5, 0.9. So, this, yeah, Plymouth was one of the higher ones. Preston was the highest at 1. The rest of them have been like half an XG or less. So, it's pretty wild, isn't it, really? Yeah. So, it feels a bit disappointing putting up 0.9 after having I mean, considered 0.3 and 0.5. But, you know, I'm being greedy, I suppose.
3: But That's how you win games isn't yeah. it? Keeping the Yeah. What's the average across that? If it works out roughly speaking it's it's really not high across those last eight games. It's brilliant.
1: It, it, it must be points. I can't do math, but I'm point point six. Yeah, point five, point I'm 0.6 0.5.6 i would
3: yeah. guess. Yeah. Brilliant.
2: Which, which is a fantastic standard. Um so we Plymouth were able to create 0.9 xG. Um and we struggled to create as many chances as we did against Swansea in the previous game. And things didn't really open up for us until late on at 2-0. So what, if anything, changed around the time of our second goal, Dan, as lots of fans were calling for Farker to change something for probably around about a good 10 minutes before Routier scored our second?
1: Well, he, he did change something. He swapped Pirro and Routier around, didn't he? And and it was pretty effective. I, I mean, Pirro, to me, had one of his better games. He was one of the few secure players in forward areas. Like The ball stuck to him. and And the job of the 10 on that day was the target man. I know it's traditionally in the night is a target man, but in this case, like the, the the ball was played into to Pirro at ten. All of a sudden, it was sticking, and then then Rutter and Somerville and James and whoever could run off him. And that that was that means we just we just all of a sudden had a little bit of purchase in their half, and we could then then something to build on and play from. We had purchase in the first fifteen minutes and got a goal. We didn't have purchase from fifteen twenty minutes on until fifty five sixty minutes. So I think it was just literally having purchase up front. Like like Rutter had a bad hold up game, didn't he? Basically. It a bad game overall, <laughs> as we said in the introduction. So I think I think that's that was it. But at the moment we got some possession in the half and got Rutter in a good position, he was able to like take take advantage and you know bring his skill down to the game. So I just think it's as simple as that. If you, you, we just need to work out ways of, of sustaining the ball in 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 areas where we can then do do damage, basically.
2: Yeah, Adam, do you agree with it was that change that made the difference?
3: Yeah, that was pretty much the only thing that did change though, wasn't it? Because I think a lot of fans were, were hoping for, for substitutions to to make a difference. I think quite a few in our group chat were as well. It, it feels like he still has this problem, Farka, um, with making subs and, and game management a little bit too late. I, I recognise that he obviously did that change, but it, it and it did help, of course it did, but it's just again like, all a bit too late for me. That's the only issue. I actually wanted Ru subbed. Am I awful for that? I think a lot of us did. I think he had his his worst game this season, other than maybe one or two. I think Stoke away was pretty bad, um, but it's certainly up there. Um, I just it, and it does tie in with those those sort of retention dynamics that we're usually used to with him. In the sense that he might try some stuff that gives the ball away, but it's usually a, a create pass or a, a, a kind of dribble against a few players. Rather than in this game, he just wasn't even able to turn. You know, Phillips was right up his backside, uh, for want of a better phrase, uh, literally wouldn't give him a moment's peace, um, was straight on him. And have to say, bit of a shout out to him. I thought, even though there was that stunning own goal that didn't count, that aside, I actually thought he did really well in both games against us recently. And he's only like 19 or something crazy. Um, he's got a, a really high ceiling, good, good athleticism, good physicality. And he, he dealt really well with Rutter and Perot, to be honest, whenever he got the chance to be near them. and. So yeah, it was good that we um we did actually manage to get Pirro sort of away from him and, and into spaces where he could sort of turn out a little bit better because Ruter's good at that, but he just wasn't able to in this game. It was a really funny one from him.
1: I think Ruter has it like quite a loose first touch, doesn't he? Like he they received the ball back to goal and he'll he'll flick the ball out with his right foot to his, his well, his left, you know, and he'll turn on to his left foot. And I think Phillips had that like worked out, didn't he? You know, the ball will come into Ruter, he's back to goal He'll use his right foot, flick it out and then try and turn and roll and roll up and go away on his left side uh, and I think Phillips just knew that and, and just kind of cut that angle off quite well didn't he and the amount of times Rute was turning and losing it at that turn point so I guess it's just perhaps someone doing the homework
2: Yeah it's really interesting that the comments in the admin chat were Rute stinking the place out and <laughs> he ended up with man, man man of the match and a goal and assist
3: He got in the EFL team um, of the week as well or something stupid
2: Yeah <laughs> at, at, at central midfield alongside Sarah um, like, like, that's, like that's a good balanced squad but um Anyway, let's carry on the discussion regarding our attacking dynamics. Um Willen asked in the Discord if we could discuss Pirro at 9, and uh, James Mantella on Twitter, or X, described his growing feeling of dread without patting the team, as we've also all kind of said that we will have eventually if it stays longer. So he said with Pat out and Perot and Georgie seemingly changing positions again are we reverting back to the low level of creativity from before the new year? Is my feeling of dread founded? Without Pat's work as our number nine and engagement of the centre-backs, we just don't have the depth in attack. An our midfield field and build-up is compressed. Also, playing Ruter in the nine means he can't risk and use his creativity all across the pitch. So Dan, with all that in mind, can you talk to me about how we did set up and what were the issues that occurred with it?
1: Well, it was, the setup was much the same as it always is. But Rutter started the game at nine and and couldn't hold the ball, so that was the issue. Um, or couldn't hold the ball when when Phillips kind of got his number for a spell. Um, and I think the, prob- the the slight problem with Piro is he's not he's not he's not very di- he's not a di- dynamic guy, is he? So he picks the ball up and he doesn't really turn the game and all that well so he needs runners off him he's, he's he's technically very tidy isn't he and he's a big strong guy he holds he can hold defenders off um i mean it's, it's a genre of football i really like i like kind of big slow technical forwards <laughs> it's like 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 vaduka was the daddy of that one. But, but the problem is yeah yeah absolutely but but when we're a, when you're a kind of transitional team then that, those players are sometimes a bit mm, aren't they um so, so the prop the problem is in the, that he's not necessarily that, that d- dynamic is not the best press of the world. So you need to have like, your runners need to kind of like adapt to that system. Um, and I think when we had Pat, we just had a kind of traditional nine who could stretch stretch to play and essentially make space for Georgie and, 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 and cry. And, and when you play in... When Perot or when you play in Return at nine, you don't tend to have that stretching of the line. So it just kind of, like I say, it just compresses and it means you kind of, your build up play has got to be perfect and on point. And if it's not like it wasn't on Saturday or the the opposition press you well, it breaks down. You just get scruffier games, don't you? I think like it feels like we've got more of an ordered game with Pat because he makes the space to be ordered. So that's my concern. Um, in the long term, if we don't have Pat, but we've, we've also seen against good teams like Perot. And, and, and Rutter be an effective com- combination you know wait Leicester, for example so i'm not totally down on it but i just think there are just some trade-offs when we miss Pat don't we and and, and play P- uh, Rutter, uh, perot as the nine
2: yeah add many other views on that
3: yeah not too much to add is it's again it's more about you can recognize that plymouth's line was so high and you probably want someone that can run in behind um, and Pats can still do that a lot better than Perot, even if his mobility is not as good these days. Um, so that would also be another dynamic that might have helped us. Um, can go a bit, bit more direct, uh, than we even did in this game. Uh, if you have, um, Bamford and Ruter. And like Dan said, it just gives Ruter a little bit more space because that, that sort of area between the centre forward and the midfield is just a lot less congested and, yeah, Plymouth just made it really, really tight in there, really hard to, to play out from unless you did go more direct. So, yeah, that's that's how I see it as well. But I agree with Dan, I can't really add too much.
2: Yeah, and speaking of directness, um, Ethan from online felt we were, quote, so needlessly direct, unquote, in this game and felt as though we were screaming for a more orderly game via short passing. As you mentioned earlier, we'd almost reverted to Red Bull type. Did you see it that way, Adam?
3: Yeah, I do, and um, I get that when the backline of the opposition is as high as it is, there is probably that natural need to go a bit more direct and hit the channels. Um, you can transition and counter pretty quickly if you do that. Uh, but as I've said before, my gripe with Varka is game management as well and I think if you need to manage the game you can't be doing that and this was a big issue for me. Um, I think Ethan added to this by saying something along the lines of uh, the job of the midfielders is to alleviate the centre-backs from having to pass uh, out from the back as much and and doing their duties in terms of distribution and without Strouk, he didn't say this, but without Strouk, that is still a bit of a problem for me. Uh, I wasn't actually enamoured with Rodin on the ball this game. I haven't always been with him this season on the ball. I think he carries fairly well but in terms of passing it's not as in the entirety it's not as secure and so he was playing quite a lot of loose balls into midfield. He wasn't the only one. Um, actually not just midfield sorry he was like playing more direct balls into forward areas that's what I meant to say. Um, he wasn't the only one. I, I noticed that Firpo did this quite a lot. He'd try sort of a slightly risky ball to hope that Somerville might get on the end of it and then they'd just cut it out and it was happening quite a lot. But yeah, he, he certainly rode and had one of his worst in possession displays for us. And, and Fart needs to get some of this, this in possession stuff better in some games. I think for the most part in the last, I don't know. Six, eight weeks now, it's been really, really good, but, and it has been usually fine. But in games like this, where the teams are going to make it more congested and, and a little bit more, um, sort of centrally compact, then I think you need, uh, I, I flashback to the Stoke game there when I was saying that things like that. And, and there were a few others there. Sunderland game, we, we struggled a little bit as well in games like that. So I think when you, you have that, you want to kind of have the centre-mids not being bypassed as much by the center backs. And you, you want them in, in spaces that they can receive the ball. And take that pressure away from the centre backs and back four quite a lot more. Uh, I think we were a bit too hopeful with some of our balls, and yeah, that's that handed itself into the sort of turnovers and the scrappiness overall. And and Farker basically, I, I think part of it is Grove and, and Kamara finding it difficult to just get involved, but it's it's part of his responsibility to get them more involved, right? That's what his job is as a manager. So I think for a while it's not been an issue, but perhaps. It wasn't easily spotted in this game for him, but it still is something that we're going to have to think about. I think we might have to think about it more against these sort of lower end teams, um, these middling teams in in games where they can make it like this if if they're choosing to do so. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a bit of a concern for me, but I, I feel like Dan's going to disagree now.
1: Well, I'm not. I, I, it- Watching the game back and watching the game live, I was like, yeah, we're playing long here and this is really scruffy. And like, there's one point I noticed Garev pointing at, I think it was Rodon, play long, you know, pointing late long. So I kind of agreed with you. And that, then I looked at the numbers and like, and like the, the the ratio of like, you know, short, medium, and long passes. And it was like just a completely normal volume of long passes for, for Leeds this season. Like, uh, we attempted 579 passes in this game and 57, 57 of them, sorry, were, were long passes. So, you know, roughly 10% of our passes were long. In the previous game, we had 62 attempted long passes from a total of 659. Previous game, 537 passes, 53 long. So it's just the same kind of ratio roughly, give or take. So, the numbers kind of don't back it up. Um, But our pass completion overall was at the lower end of normal. It was like 83% rather than kind of high 80s that we see from a lot of games. So, I just think, think it was a scruffy game, which makes you think we're playing long. But it was a scruffy not long is the is just is the gist of it
2: yeah and i think for me it's possibly that the passes were slightly different obviously long passes are distance and it's potentially so what could be perceived is if we're doing more long passes that were in the air than on the ground um they can come across as just that being more direct um so it's just kind of like that perception that we're that we look more direct, but really it's just the way that we're being direct that's a bit different. And, you know, that could also have led to why we saw the ball maybe not sticking as much, um, because there was that little change in in directness. Uh, but that that's the only way that I can think is why we all watched the game, perceived it as that we were looking more direct, but then the numbers don't show that.
3: Maybe it's because also some of them were mid-range and that's not going to count as long-range, and I think maybe our mid-range was a, a little bit higher than the average. I don't know. Don't have the numbers, but that's just going to be one of my guesses as well. Yeah,
1: it's, it it looks like it looks it looks to be in like normal range. Just scanning numbers without doing any proper crunching. Two hundred and fifty five mid range passes. Previous game two nine seven. Game before that 230, 252, fifty two two twenty. So it just feels like the normal kind of range, really.
3: Well, I, I, anyway, just just as an overall point for me, I just didn't think. Either Grove or Kamara had their best game here. Uh, I think we all can agree with that, whether that the numbers say it or not. I think this is one of their weaker games recently. I still like them as a pairing, and I think we'll go on to talk about them a little bit more later as well. Um, but it just felt like they weren't maybe as responsible with the ball as they they usually are, and not maybe taking charge. There's also part of it that's we're away from home. We away at home, we've largely just dominated with with any of the midfielders we've had um, in terms of how we've kept the ball in, in the opposition's half, and we just weren't able to do that as much here. Fair enough.
1: I mean, there's a couple of factors that I've, I've, I've maybe play into that a bit. Is that we're playing both Cry and Nanto and, and as wingers, and they're kind of they're not wide players, are they? They come in field, don't they, and get involved. And that kind of plays into that kind of that Red Bull, you know, squeezed four up front type thing. Um, so, you know, maybe a Dan James might have been handy in this game. Even though Nonto had a great game, maybe Dan James structurally would have been a better option. Staying wide and high and just stretching the pitch a bit more would have given us an easier out ball for so Those long balls and it maybe looked a bit less, yeah, yeah, perhaps, yeah. And obviously Bamford not being there, not stretching the defence vertically, and we you know we weren't stretching uh, or, um, horizontally either. So yeah, it was just a, a, a compact game that we could have perhaps, you know, have, if Dan James had been fit and playing well, it might might have played out differently and maybe been less scruffy. And I also think actually this would have been a good game for um, Amper doing the midfield. That kind of physical battle in there would have would have re- relished that, and perhaps having Pascal behind him, with, who's probably a calmer passer might have been a better combo agree. maybe. Yeah. say it
3: quietly though a lot of the dars don't like it
1: don't care <laughs> I'm right they're wrong
2: <laughs> um, and on that note let's go to an ad break um, so yeah before that happens I have to plug the Patreon otherwise Tom Alderson will kill Adam Elliot and that is not something I want because I really like Adam
1: Aww. Um someone has to
2: yeah it can kill Dan um <laughs>
1: you're coming soon anyway
2: (laughs) don't worry patrons you don't have to listen to this part so our patrons get access for as little as £1.99 per month which gives you ad-free podcasts and if you want to pay a little more you get other benefits which include early access to our preview pods analysis articles, videos and our bonus podcasts Uh, what've we got coming up soon? we got an
1: under-21s pod coming Dan? Um, nothing's planned at the moment I've been a bit busy, I'm afraid. So yes, I think we should do because there's been some games and changes. So yes, put a pin in that one, but yeah.
3: Charlie Allen's gone on loan to York. We didn't put that in the news. We
1: didn't put that in the news.
3: Anyway, carry on. Um, (laughs) This is an ad break. But
2: we'll carry on. There you go. There's some free news. This is the sort of stuff you get as a patron. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so if you want more up-to-date news um, and you want to find out more about our patron, please visit Adam. Don't visit Adam. He's going to tell you the URL.
3: Patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon.
2: Perfect.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: And now let's get back to the analysis, where in this half we're going to talk more about players, specifically, rather than tactics. So we've already discussed uh, Peru a bit, but how do you think he got on as a nine again? Obviously, we have slightly discussed this. Um, He looked better than plenty of our other forwards, though, didn't he, Adam?
3: He did, yes. I think Dan summed it up nicely, actually, what he said before, just a little bit more secure with his touches and quite a few nice bits where he could lay it off or or, you know link play a little bit better. And I was pretty happy with him, um, I have to say. Uh, I also thought, you know, he comes deep a lot, a lot and we know this um so he doesn't lead the line but he was pretty good and I would be very happy with him for another game or two if he plays while he ha- as he has sorry in the last couple of games um so yeah I, I, I didn't really mind when he had to make the switch to 10 as well it was all pretty nice um pretty happy with him uh and I think he's become a little bit underrated by our fan base actually recently uh I'm not super high on him as a nine as a line leader um in terms of intensity in terms of pace and things like that he's not got those qualities that Bamford has but he is good at other stuff that maybe he's going a bit unnoticed I think he chooses the the safer and good option quite a lot of the time and with the second goal that was pretty evident as well when he he sort of turns plays after Gray wins it back nicely turns plays a nice pass to Roussa Routier, Roussa's away should have tear pass it to Somerville, probably yes, but at least it created the chance um, in the first place with pro quickly getting it out to him. So yeah, really, really happy with quite a lot of his performance in the last couple of games now.
2: Yeah, Dan, you're not long in agreement there.
1: Yeah, totally. I really rate him. I just, I just feel like we've we've not kind of used him. Oh, we've not kind of. The setup isn't perfect for him, is it? Really, but like in terms of his, his when he does contribute, I'm always like, I think he's always impactful. Um, it's just he doesn't contribute enough. So I think we just need to work out ways of getting him in the game more and making sure the other runners. You know, um, draw players away from him. You know, and and make the right kind of runs that suit him. So, I, I just think he's a useful player to have around. He's not a perfect fit for what we need, granted, but still a good footballer, and I like watching good footballers, so that's fine. Yeah,
2: I think um, the bit that actually shocked me was his actual assist for Rutez's goal. Like that pass was very good, which we haven't se- we haven't seen from him much. That sort of uh, that sort of passing and sticking with the attack. How how do we fail Nanto played? I mean, we've discussed him. Previously, do we think that he performed better than Perro? Dan. Yeah, I
1: would probably be my man of the match. Well, probably. um probably.
3: You're meant to be Martin today, so you've got to save yeah. Ruta.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I love Georgie. I really do. Uh, you know, I, I'm an early, early. I was an early Georgie adop, uh, adoptee, so. I'm all for it, but he had a stinker, but then he took his goal well, so, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I thought Nante had a great game. Similar to Perot, really. He was secure, wasn't he? He wasn't giving the ball away and he wasn't chucking, you know, he wasn't passing the ball into touch like, like, like some of it was. And, uh, you know, and if, and if if the move wasn't on, he was pretty good at turning out and recycling the ball, wasn't he? And, And, and going again. And he had some nice combinations with Archie, so. Just, just generally, like a really nice, tidy game. I thought he worked really hard. He's generally speaking, not a great presser or not a great, great defensive player. I get the vibe; he's working on that, and that's getting a bit better. Just generally across the last few weeks, um, and and I'm choosing to believe that he, he, the touch for the first touch for his goal was was intentional, and it was genius. Ask me tomorrow; I'll say it was lucky. But you know. Um, so yeah, just just a really nice sort of tidy game, and just look—it's just great to have him coming into form right now because it just kind of keeps the run going, doesn't it? You know, you need to have your forwards all stepping up at different times. It's just a really nice bonus having him step up now while Dan James has got a knock. So that's that's all good. to continue, and like I say, I think he's probably a better winger for bringing Archie Gray out to play a bit more. If that makes sense. Um, than than Dan James, you know, he kind of draws Archie into kind of combination play high up the pitch, Dan James, he draws Archie Gray into combination play high up the pitch, which is nice.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that it was an intentional touch around the defender on that one, Dan. And um, Adam, as Dan alluded to, and as our lovely friend from Focus on Leeds, Tom Wilson asked, do we get more out of Archie Gray when we play Neonto than when we play James?
3: Well, first of all, I have to say I agree. I thought his retention was the best of any of our forward players, and I, I include Perot in that. I thought he was decent, but I think Nanto was definitely the best at making the ball stick, which is really, really good, and it does alleviate pressure from other players if you can do that and carry for a moment, and he did that quite well. Um Also, just to answer both your questions, um George Ellick did a poll asking Nanto whether it was a great touch or whether it was a bad touch and lucky, and the answer is... 52 percent so not very much said that it was a bad touch and it was lucky um out of 208 voters so you know the, the, the cursed, cursed ratio right, the cursed yeah ratio, yeah yep, yep, exactly um but i'm i'm all for good touch because i am a leeds fan so yes uh, but yeah about archie gray and nanto it certainly looks better at combining with archie i also think there's a couple of reasons for this i basically think well yeah nanto's a little bit more of a, a technical footballer so he's going to allow Gray to sort of bounce balls off him pretty easily, and he did that a few times in this game. I actually thought some of Gray's early passing was a little bit sloppy, but he still has that ability to, to sort of bounce it off Nanto where he likes to. And the other thing is, I think that Nanto, as we've sort of mentioned, um, he will has that tendency to sort of drift in field a little bit, um, which I'm, Archie then is allowed to if he wants to, you know. Go past him and, and actually overlap. And I know that he's playing the sort of more reserved and, and conservative right back role, but he can still do that a little bit if he wants. And he does. So that again opens up the pitch for him if Nante comes in field. Um, and it, it means we can flip the fullbacks for us, you know, for a, a spell if we have to when we're attacking. And I quite like that dynamic. I do think that recently the wingers and the fullbacks have become a little bit less. Uh, sort of structured in in the way that one's high and wide. I don't think we're seeing that quite as much. Maybe a little bit more with with uh, sorry, Firpo at left back, and he will get forward. But um, we're also in great and good positions in attacking areas, and, and I think Nanto is just his best partner. This isn't a slight on James at all, and I think there are games where he might be suited more, uh, even including this one. Perhaps he could have stretched the pitch as we mentioned before. But it is just that Nanto is like a little bit more intelligent, and uh, that combination has really really developed nicely, and uh, it's it really helps Archie. It's it. It's just Crazy how young that is as a as a flank. <laughs> I think the average age is what eighteen and a half. So yeah, that's nuts. But I'm I'm very much for uh, this continuing and and Nanto's form has been excellent. Let's just be honest about this now. Like for a while, um, and obviously another goal here, but it's just all round display was was again top notch. Uh, seems just really confident again, which is good to see.
2: Yeah, and I think we've said as well regarding that you might have touched on it there, Adam, and that with Nanto we're much more a uh, Symmetrical team rather than asymmetrical compared to how we would be set up with Dan James. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a case of, you know, if we've got the in 4-man and you've got Dan James coming back, we can maybe finally do the horses for courses that me and Dan constantly try and push regarding the players that we've got. But um Farker just seems to go with whichever team's performing and doesn't change a winning side. So unless he's forced to. Um, but something which we didn't expect to see, I think and our lovely friend and new member of the pod, Will Clare has asked us, Robert's coming on in what looked like a right-wing role. Do we have any thoughts on that, and how likely is this to be something that we do a lot going forwards? Uh, Adam, I'll come to you first. I
3: don't think it's going to happen consistently, let's put it that way. I think it's a potential that he was, maybe Farquhar was noticing the the threat of Miller on the left, maybe too late, because I think the sub was made on like 82 minutes or something, and he realised it might be better to have a little bit more support down that side for Archie. Uh, I don't think we're going to see it all that often. I think it's more likely that he'll be used as a fullback. What I'm more interested in knowing with Roberts is where he's going to be deployed uh, going forwards in terms of the fullback role. Because I think he could probably play as a left back if we needed him to. And I think there will come a time when that's needed. And I think at some point he will come into the team at right back and start there at don't know when it'll be, I just think Archie Gray is not going to play every single game from now to the end of the season at right back, even if you don't change a winning side, there'll come a time when it just feels like Roberts is the the obvious choice for the game, potentially even against Leicester, but yeah, it was. I think it was more of a, a situational thing, he came on at right wing, Miller was the main threat for them down the left in terms of his pace, in terms of his crossing ability, so it made sense maybe to have a, a slightly more defensive minded player, not that Nanto doesn't do his, his fair share of work, but Roberts is a defender, so yeah, makes sense.
2: Yeah, Dan, do you agree it was just a case of shoring up that middle area?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's just, it's it's kind of a move that comes from the same school of thought, from Fark where, you know, you remember he used to bring Groove on at number 10 just to kind of see games out. We went for a spell of doing that, and they're Impressive. all sometimes bringing yeah, Cooper on that. them, going yeah. to a free at the back. Yeah. Just just have a big guy to head it out when we're under a bit, a bit of pressure. I guess it's just a similar thought to that. I don't think he sees him as a winger as such. It's just a, a reliable senior guy that can come in and work hard. Yeah. Nothing more like F- that.
2: Farker's tactical genius of bringing on seven attackers when you need a goal and bringing on seven defenders when you need to secure up. Um... <laughs> And on the last review, we discussed our midfielders and especially how they've been performing well at the moment, completing a large share of their passes. Um, And at the same time, they've been playing quite progressively. But we had more issues with them here, as we've discussed earlier in section one. And so would you move Ampadu or Gray back there at some stage? Um, Adam, you kind of touched on that. So with regards to Roberts going to right back, Dan, what's your thoughts?
1: I mean, if I was putting out my preferred 11, everybody's fit, then it's probably Ampadu-Kamara, but I expect it's soon to be ampadu Gray's our midfield pair. You know, and just in terms of pure all-round ability, and and, and and I particularly think if we go up, I think their athleticism would be more useful in there than, than Grove and Kamara. So, I think long-term, Ampadu-Gray is our kind of double pivot long-term, isn't it? That's, that's where I see it. So, at some point, I'd like to see that combination, you know, get used and grow. So... That'd be my view uh, as, as a long-term thing, um, but right now I'm really digging Groves' like passing and 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 build-up play. So and and as we're trying to be a more dominant ball, you know, ball-heavy team at the uh, possession-heavy team at the moment, then I guess Grove is 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 the right cog piece to have in that team at the moment. But I think long-term it's Ampadu and Gray, isn't it?
2: Dan thinks Grove right now is the right cog, and in the future, Ampadu and Gray, Adam who is our best centre-midfield pairing, and this is now definitive once you say it. Wow,
3: that's pressure. Can I answer a little bit more around it first and then give my answer? Is that acceptable? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah, I agree about the the sort of deep line playmaker and and the sort of constant combination passing that Gruber brings to a team, not as much in this game, but in general, I think that's obviously needed and the short-range snappy passing is pretty useful. You want your metronome to do that and I don't think Ampadu is that always. he, He can do it a little bit, but not maybe to the same level and extent that Grev does. I have to say, I would love to see at some stage Ampadu and Grove as a pairing. I know it's been used once against Stoke. I know it didn't work, but I just want to see it a game or two, perhaps just to, to give it another go, especially because at that time, Grove wasn't very well bedded in. And I think quite a lot of us weren't very keen on him at that time. And now he's absolutely loved in the fan base. So I can't see him playing like he did in that game again. Let's put it that way. I think that he'll be a lot better with, uh, you know, whoever he plays with at the moment. Um, but I do agree with Dan about Ampadu being in there for like a hundred percent. There's no way he's not one of the two. And I think, yeah, the long term answer really is you want to develop Ampadu and Gray. And I think if we get promoted, I think that's what the club would want, and Ivaka would probably want in the long term. I think you you want your the two youngest, not by much, but they are the two youngest in there um, than any other combination. And I think they're probably the most well balanced. And if Gray has a nice steep development curve in the next 18 months you could be talking about a very 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 expensive player and a really really healthy central midfield pairing that's not very old whatsoever you know in 18 months time they'll be what 19 and 24 it's it's, it's just something that i would like to see long term but i am very happy with basically all our midfielders because the the long answer really is that uh, sorry the short answer really is that um I think this is the strongest area of our squad and it's probably the, team, the area of the team that I wouldn't touch if we go up. I think that these four can all contribute and play in the Premier League and play fairly well. Um, maybe the level will be a step up for, a, for all of them, uh, especially maybe the three that aren't called Ethan Ampadu, but I do think all of them ha- are able to compete in the top flight. So I would like to see them have a go, all of them.
1: I mean, I mean, if we had a, a midfield three, if we're like a 4-3-3 team, like an Ampadu-Grey-Grev three would be nice, wouldn't it? you know left foot right foot couple right foot you could, like, Gray could kind of be more of a box crashing type player which I think would suit him so there's different ways to combine those good players isn't they don't have to be a double pivot forever you know we could go to midfield free yeah, at point but I just
3: do see that this summer we either keep Roussa where he is in the 10 spots, as much but whatever you want to call it as much as possible or yeah. he moves to the right and we sign more advanced and attacking midfielder. doesn't mean that one of those guys you've just named couldn't play that role a little bit as well, but I wouldn't maybe want to see them play that for the full season. We probably would want a marquee signing there. Um, but I'm talking way too far in advance here. We, we don't know if we're going to get there. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think um, Ampadu probably has that bit more ball-carrying ability than Groove, and I think it's ca- kind of been mentioned uh, that in that game against Stoke when they did try it was Groove who's kind of played that eight role. And I think that this time, if they were to play again, they'd probably play the role, they'd alternate. Yeah, I think Fark has even said that um, as being like one of the reasons why we're seeing better of Groove because he's not he's not being asked to do that role, which Kamara is doing basically. Um, so yeah, I think that's why we want to kind of see it again. We want to see it with those roles reverse and see how Ampadu does regarding uh, being, being more of the progressor of, like with the ball at his feet. Um,
3: and he can defend a bit higher up as well and he can yeah. he can yeah, engage he can people in the press up, yeah. and I think that could work quite well. He'd be quite a good like Tyler Adams kind of player in, in that sense in the Premier League where he just snaps into the press quite quickly. Um, I think he'd be pretty, pretty decent at that. But yeah, I should have said that. I, I meant to say that they, they would swap in terms of their roles. Thank you.
1: I, I think they played together in the cup, you know, against Plymouth, the home game. Potentially. And I think it was kind of a bit like one, one sat, one went type thing and they rotated a bit. I don't remember now. I was I was a few beers in, um, but <laughs> didn't watch it. I think I think they did, and I think I think they were okay. I think it worked way better than it did at Stoke. But I'm, I'm you know that's beard up memories for you. So
2: and I don't know how many drinks you had on Saturday, but whether you remember or not, who else stood out for you, Dan?
1: Um, I liked a couple of elements of Meliès' performance, and I've been a bit down on him. This season um there was i just thought i mean he had never real safe to make did he i think there was one miss it cross but it's more just his like general handling and like sweeping up i thought was really like tidying like and, and, and felt very secure felt like one of his safer performances there was one little sequence where they had a couple of corners in the second half and he came out and punched one and got a really great clearance then the ball came back another time and a minute later and he, and he claimed it showing that he was like the it was the correct decision on both occasions. You know, the first one, the punch was the correct decision, and the second one, the catch was the correct decision. And and it was just nice that he got both those decisions right and executed them. It's not something I felt he's always done. So you know, the, I'm just up in Melier's turning a corner. Maybe it was just on that front and looked more secure. So just worth pointing out. Yeah,
2: Adam. Any, anyone you'd like to give a shout out to?
1: Nope.
3: Nah, joking. Um, one player. Um, I I think this has been evident actually for a few games now. Um, But it's just something that I I noticed again and I thought I better mention that on the pod because I haven't yet. Um, Ampadu's left foot is a lot better than I thought it was. Um, I think he's pretty comfortable uh, using it and doesn't shy away from it when it's on that side. Whether it's actually quite a a difficult sort 20-25 yard pass or it's a simple 5 or 10 yard pass, he doesn't shy away from it at all Uh, and you wouldn't know Um, he was, you know, right-footed if you just had a compilation of all his left-footed passes i don't think he, he looks pretty tidy and and yeah so i wanted to give a little shout out to that
2: fair enough yeah i don't think there's anyone that we haven't covered already um i think we've actually covered everything I'm gonna call it there so just a quick reminder that the website for our Patreon is dan
1: patreon.com Forward slash ASAW Patreon.
2: And that's everything for tonight. Thank you, Dan. We'll be back very soon to preview a mouthwatering game on Friday evening against Table Toppers Leicester. But for now, I'll say thank you to Martin. I mean Dan. Bring release him. Release him, Dan.
1: I'll release him from my dungeon.
2: Um thank you, Tom. And thank you, Adam.
3: Thank you. I don't have a dungeon, just to be clear. Cheers.
2: You're in Tom Alderson's. And to you, our, (laughs) to you, our dear listeners, have a great week and enjoy the Leicester game. Adios.